Alright You're listening to Irish Radio Canada at home and abroad At Collision and Collision as we've mentioned Evolved out of the Web Summit in Dublin Headed to North America to Vegas Then to New Orleans And is now in Toronto this year and the next two years And Hushin Hanrahan A native of Dublin currently based in New York Was one on a panel uh, He's just come off stage Hushin is a co-founder of Handy And he'll tell us very quickly what Handy was um, But Hushin is one of those people Who had ideas at a young age and was able to put them into action at a young age and didn't allow either the system or uh, convention or advice stop them pushing tough or, off the road <laughs> it's great to be here yeah with that intro it didn't, it didn't allow sense or reason either but yeah, yeah. but if sense or reason were to prevail nothing would ever be achieved I don't know would things be achieved maybe we'd all just be very happy if we just let sense and reason prevail do you think no I don't but you know I have to give the countervailing point of view don't I no you know like <laughs> what do you do with a creative mind but you, you try to give it expression you do look I, I remember the first uh, the first thing I ever got in trouble for selling was when I was in primary school in Dublin and you know in the little cereal boxes the way there's toys yeah. and so I took the, yeah the Kellogg's Krispies yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so I took uh, I took the toys into school and I must have been in second or third class and I sold the toys to my friends for like 5p or 10p and I was put in I was, I was in trouble I was put in front of, up at the principal's office for selling toys to my friends and I, I asked why I asked what was wrong with this and apparently I was taking advantage of children by selling them toys even though I was even though you were a child I, even though I wasn't just a child I was definitely the youngest in the class as okay. well so, uh, so you were a car dealer as a young uh, yeah I, uh, a toy dealer yeah uh, the Kellogg's Krispies cartoon caper I think they, they called it at okay. home okay yeah. but that in its way I, like, I'm glad you started by telling me that because in many ways Creativity is knocked out of people at a young age. Are we going to talk about the Leaving Cert and the road education system? Is that where we're <laughs> Well, no, because actually I had a conversation. Standardized testing. No, I, I, no, we're not, but I had a conversation with someone um, from one of the other companies that was here, and I said, you know, I think the Irish education has served us very well in that it has provided, certainly in my time, and I know we're slightly different generation, but it provided us with a grounding that helped us survive because we needed to survive. Um, but yes, I always believe the education system educates people to look for a job rather than create a job. So I think there's a few interesting things that come out of the education system as it's structured. Because there are so little intermediate or so few intermediate tests and it's all centered on these big bang moments, it trains people to deal with a lot of pressure, which you can argue whether that's positive or negative, but certain people thrive under pressure. It trains people to figure out their own way to deal with a very large event, okay. and it doesn't handhold you along the way. So unlike, uh, take, uh, take a lot of the US education system, particularly third level, um, it is continuous hand-holding, it is mandatory participation in class, it is tests on a weekly or bi-weekly basis, whereas you look at the, the Irish system, you look, I, I went to Trinity in Dublin, and it's, you know, brutal at the end of the first it, year. It's brutal at the end of the first year, but more than that, the, the eventual grade you get is a result of, you know, 80% of it is a result of eight or nine days at the end of four years. Right. And that's, you know, they, they condense that down to a number, and I, I, I think there's a lot a lot of negatives associated with it, but there are positives as well. That it like encourages people to find their own way through a through a very strange system. It does. And one of the other things I commented upon was like that we come out certainly with a good broad general education, whether it be in math, science, and language. And like I learned Latin 
think so what's the value but so much of the English language is based on Latin I think the context you get from broad-based education is very important. I think it gives you, you know, it gives you more pillars of knowledge that you can start to attach things onto as you get older. Like I think I spend, you know, some amount of time thinking about how people learn and what makes people on the team successful, and some amount of it is just their ability to internalize information and then later connect dots that are very disparate. And it's very hard to hold, you know, thousands or tens of thousands of individual points in your head but you start to put them on pillars or you start to put them on trees and it starts to form this web in your mind that I think is largely a product of how people are brought up and the education system that they go through. So you were a toy dealer in, in the national school. <laughs> school grown <laughs> on, yeah. Uh, but, uh, you were, you, but what you were doing was effectively connecting a buyer and a seller. So you're saying I was running a marketplace for toys. <laughs> what I would say. I, I should have I run Uber for toys, is that what you're saying? Not necessarily. <laughs> well, you could have done that too. You could have leased them. <laughs> I could have got a financing plan. <laughs> suddenly suddenly I was a money man. Money. But in effect, isn't that what business is about, is connecting a buyer and a seller? Look, I think two-sided marketplaces are inherently, uh, are inherently really, really central to the economy. I think it's central to so many things that we do. We don't think about them as marketplaces. We don't think about it as connecting buyers and sellers. But that's a lot of what goes on. I remember one of the first things I studied was economics and the whole idea of you know what we now call transaction costs. The searching for what, if you're a buyer, it's searching for a seller, it's searching for the product, it's trying to figure out if you can trust them, it's trying to figure out if you know the thing is going to show up as described. And if you're a seller, it's trying to find a buyer, trying to find the you know someone who has money, who's like in, in your market at that time. And yeah, a lot of what we do in life is creating these marketplaces like you take collision is collision a marketplace is it a marketplace for you know buyers sellers for media for companies for companies for employees like is it I, I think about it as a marketplace it it's a platform company that you know Patty is obviously Patty Cosgrave has done a great job building out Web Summit and building out this platform company that essentially is a series of marketplaces right so you decided there was a market for bringing um, people uh, trace people in contact with consumers. So, so my background before that, I, I ran a real estate development and construction business in Budapest and Hungary and I always noticed how easy it was to get someone to bid to renovate a whole apartment because it was a 30, 40, 50, 100,000 dollar job and how incredibly hard it was to get someone to come back and fix a cracked window, replace a leaky faucet, a leaky tap, fix a clogged drain and again it comes down to the transaction cost. Those jobs all cost only you know, 100 $200 and yet the time cost of organizing them can run to 50, 60, 70, $200 in itself. Right. So that was the inefficiency that we saw that, that my, my, my co-founder and I saw. It was that ability that if you turn services like that into products that you could book those very simple everyday home services at the touch of a button you could unlock a better experience for customers and a better experience for the sellers because there are many, many great handymen and great cleaners who know how to do their, you know, the, the raw mechanics mechanics of the job very well, but aren't good at marketing, aren't good at, you know, debt collection, aren't good at negotiating prices, aren't good at scheduling, and they're stuck in this, like, hey, how do I run my teeny tiny little business, and if you give them a platform
platform to do it, it's a better experience for the customer and a better experience for the professional. So one of the questions then is that a lot of these professionals are, are tradespeople, would not necessarily be, or are they, and now got to the point where they are a smartphone literate? So that's a great question. And that's actually something that a lot of people haven't realized is the, one of the biggest drivers for why this is happening now. So seven years ago when we started Handy, people applied online and then we ran the business using text message. So they weren't smartphone literate. They didn't have smartphones with data plans. They were on text message. So we would text them, they would respond, they would show up, and the whole business was conducted through text message. We actually ran a program at one point where we like helped pros become tech literate. Right. And over the last seven years, that whole thing has changed. Right. And it happened, you know, as you know, many things happen. It happened gradually and then suddenly where it was this thing that was building up. It was no overnight success of seven years in Exactly. And then suddenly, every single person that comes to Handy is smartphone literate. Right. And that just changes the game. Because I know the consumer is smartphone literate. Yep. It's the supplier is not necessarily. And today they all are. Right. They're all smartphone literate. I mean, that's a little unfair. I mean, they're not 100%, but 90 plus percent right. of the folks have a smartphone, have a data plan, know how to download an app, know how to use it, know how to connect it with their bank account, and can just get on with it. And that leverage that that creates just has allowed so many new platforms companies to grow up because it was insane. The cost of actually going out and educating people on that, it, it, it would destroy the economics, it would destroy the business, but it creates this moment in time. And there are there are things that change like across many industries, like you see this thing that something changes and it just unlocks the business in a new way, whether it was, you know, USB, whether it was battery power, whether it's, you know, you can take a bunch of things that have happened, but they just change whole industries that like they didn't, you, you didn't think that the smartphone was going to change how you buy services. No. Um, the, the other aspect of some of this then is that um, when you, you provide an end-to-end, -end, so if I'm a tradesperson and I register, um, do I then operate as an independent do my own invoicing or do you provide an end-to-end -end service? So there's a few different ways you can work within the Handy platform now and obviously Handy is now part of HomeAdvisor and Angie's List and there's like multiple different ways. You can be an advertiser on Angie's List where you essentially advertise you can be you know a person on HomeAdvisor, a pro on HomeAdvisor where you can buy leads for customers and in that world you run your own invoicing, you do everything. On Handy itself you can also work with us to buy leads but the majority of pros on Handy don't buy the leads. They actually work in a transactional way where we do the billing, we collect the payment, and we transfer that payment onto the customer. Of course, you can still run your own business outside of Handy where you might have your own clients as well. And there's this different ways in which different sets of customers, both uh, end consumers and professionals, work with the platform. And when we originally started, we thought it would be segmented by service type. So we actually thought, hey, some services will be better for a transactional model where you just press a button and buy and some will be better for a connect me with a pro or someone will call you back. What we've recently learned is that it's both segmented by category, so the, the service type, and also by customer. So some customers might want to press a button and book a cleaner. Some might want to say, hey, actually, I just like two or three cleaners to call me. Okay. And there's like different buying models so that we can serve more and more customers and build a more holistic experience for more people. Now, I noticed early on that you, at one point, had greater demand than you had suppliers. And that in order to to meet that 
demand, um, you and some of your colleagues actually went out into the field to perform. Uh, what, what I found curious in that was, what did you do? <laughs> Are you asking if I clean toilets or assemble furniture? Is that, is that, is that where this is going? Both is the answer. <laughs> <laughs> because, again, as an entrepreneur, you do that if you have to. Look, I think the role of a founder, the role of an entrepreneur is to create momentum. It's to make something happen where there's nothing happening right now. Right. And sometimes it's a matter of raising capital and getting people to come and work with you. Sometimes it's just a matter of doing the work. Yeah. And sometimes you just got to get down to brass tacks and just do whatever is needed to get the job done. Right. And as a result of that, I suppose, I've always recognized within a business that when the founder, when the, the senior people, that the, the team knows that you can get your hands dirty. It builds a cohesion in a team that you don't get when it's a white collar tie and mahogany roll. There's, there's no mahogany at handy. Let's start with that. Um. There, are, there are trades people who can work with mahogany. Yeah, say there's no mahogany at handy HQ. Um, look, I think there are many factors that go into building a great team and figuring out how to motivate people. One of them is this, you know, whether it's step up to the plate to get the job done by the senior folks. Another is, are you on the front lines? Are you talking to your customers? Another is, are you building trust? Are you calling it like it is? Are you telling your team when things are good? Are you telling them when things are bad? And there's just some basic level of trust that needs to exist for all this stuff to work. And that comes from, you know, lots and lots of things, whether it's the human connection of sitting down in front of someone, whether it's, you know, calling things when they're bad, whatever it may be. Um, I think there's a really important layer of trust that needs to be built for these teams to work. So here you were on the stage there a short while ago in the startup university. Um, coming to an event like this, bringing you in contact with frontline people who are creative, um, does it reinvigorate your juices? Look, I'm my, my co-founder and I have been investing in smaller startups now probably for five or six years and I think we get a lot of enjoyment out of hearing founder stories, particularly early stage, those seed stage companies that are you know barely more than a couple of folks and uh, maybe half a pitch deck. And of course it gets me excited. It makes me think, hey, like what's what, what are the what are the things that are being built now that you know couldn't be built? Like it was impossible to build them five or six or seven years ago. Um, and of course, there's so many interesting things being built across labor markets, across you know some of the more frontier tech, across AI, across uh, you know, delivery, across transport. And I think there are many many categories that are being uh, changed today that were historically protected by regulation in a way that wasn't in the interest of the consumer but are really being changed and you know, adjusted today in a way that I think will be very positive for the consumer. One of the challenges I think that's out there is a lot of people are struggling with where do they apply themselves for the future because things like AI, because of the changing dynamic in, in um, society and the changing role that people are playing. And one of the things I believe is personal services is an area that is not going to go away. So in a way what you've done is, is 
is tapped into, I would say, is probably a more secure area. We're all going to have one when someone to cut the lawn or to clean the windows or the very thing you're talking about. And as other functions generate revenue and people have wealth, they're more likely to use personal services. Look, I, I think physically delivered services, whether it's personal, whether it's home, whether it's you know, uh, you know, teaching training. I think there are categories that are just really hard to turn into an automated process for a machine to do. And I think it's that combination of physical, intellectual, personal, emotional, those services are just really hard to automate. And, you know, if you look at what we've got going on right now, you know, unemployment rates in the U.S. are at, you know, whatever, 30-year lows at 3.8%. We don't have just a talent shortage, which, you know, 10 years ago, even in 2009, 2010, we had a talent shortage. Mm -hmm. Now we've got a talent shortage and a labor shortage. Mm -hmm. I think we're some distance from coming out of this labor shortage, but eventually we'll flip back to just having a talent shortage and labor will be, you know, back in in, in an oversupply state again. And I think one of the things to do to protect against that, you know, we're thinking about like how, how as individuals we protect against a labor shortage or a labor glut state, I think we do go out and we focus on service categories, whether it's trade skills or professional skills that really are delivered in person. Um, and obviously there's the, the, the standard answer, which is, okay, technical skills are just going to be more and more in demand. The more and more tech we employ, the more and more technical skills we're going to need. So I think both those are both very, very logical categories to, to spend time learning. Well, Shane, I'm going to wrap up because I know you have a plane to catch and I certainly wouldn't want you being delayed getting home. No one. <laughs> I wouldn't have one answer to your wife. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, I, it, it, I think under normal circumstances or pre, pre-normal circumstances it would have been fine, but I have a little baby girl at home that I, I, I do, I do want to go home and see, so yes. And as you got to the stage where the eyes are recognizing it? Oh, she's three months old. I think for the last three or four weeks, maybe more, she has been all smiles. So she sees, you know, me. She sees my wife, and she's all smiles. She had a huge moment two days ago where she rolled over for the first time. Okay, yeah, that yeah. was a big one for yeah, us. Um, yeah. Little surprising. I didn't expect it to happen, but yeah, uh, and it did. Anyway, what's your attitude to technology and children? Um, good question. So I think there are many very positive pieces of technology that we use. So I have a Nanit camera that sits over her um, her bassinet or her crib that allows me to look at her when I'm away, which is great. Allows us to monitor. It does all sorts of you know things about figuring out the temperature in the room and all that good stuff. We have uh, Nest cams that we use as well, um, but we do draw the line at saying what we don't want is for her to have any screen time at this stage. And you know we haven't decided when we want to introduce that, but my wife and I both have a very hard line that at this stage we want zero screen time. So you know even if it's hey we're going to play music, we're we're not going to in any way show her both phone or iPad or anything that we're playing the music or the video from. Who knows when that'll change, but. That's the uh, that's the take that we've got for now. Thanks, Thank you very much. Good to meet you.